Hey, hey, let me, let me jump into this. You know, uh, let me kind of set this series up. Uh, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was walking around in Israel teaching people about God and this is what it looks like to live connected to God. You know, Jesus could have just walked into, you know, a church or a, or a synagogue and said, hey, here's the truth, deal with it. This is the way it is. And, and, he, and he could have done that, and, but he didn't. Because a lot of times the things that Jesus was teaching people, the, the truth that he, he was kind of laying out there was so shocking, so hard to hear, so different than anything I'd ever heard before that if, if Jesus just would have just told them straight out, a lot of us are, back then and now, we would just turn and run the other direction. So whenever Jesus taught truth, he, he did it in a real tender way. So rather than just saying like, all right, this is the way it is and, you know, you have to do it this way, he, he would teach them. And one of the ways that Jesus taught people was he would compare something that they didn't have any idea what he was talking about, like God stuff and spiritual stuff and things like that, and what that would look like for their lives. And he would compare it to something that they were already familiar with. So Jesus would be talking about God stuff and then he'd say, he didn't list talks like this. It's kind of like the same thing when you go fishing, if he was talking to fishermen. He goes, it's the same thing. Or if he was talking to shepherds, he'd go, it's, it's the same way when a shepherd takes care of his sheep. It's, it's the same way with God. Or, or a farmer goes out and plants some seeds if he's talking to farmers. And then all the farmers would go, it's the same way with God? Yeah, that, it's the same thing. And those are called parables. You know, Jesus told a lot of stories and a lot of parables. And, and every once in a while, people would ask Jesus, why do, you, why do you tell so many stories? Why do you always talk in parables? And Jesus would say, because I want you to understand what I'm talking about. I want you to understand what it looks like to live connected to God every day. Not just in your little religious one day a week box. Not in this little God category of your life. I mean every day, you know, when, when you're away from your religious building, at, at work, at, at school, in your marriage. You know, if you end up in jail, if you, if you end up in a hospital, I want you to remember, okay, this is what it looks like to live in, in, away from reli- uh, religious buildings connected to God. And he'd say, it's kind of like, like this. And that's what we do around here a lot. If you're new to Flatirons, we, we try to, we, we teach in parables. People ask why we do series and stuff. It's, it's the same way. Like, like back in January, we did a series called Serial Killers. You know, and I could have just stood up here and said, okay, here's the truth. And we should do these things and we shouldn't do these things. But what we did is we compared it kind of like to walking out of a dark room and into a bright sunlight. And remember this, our, our first response a lot of times is just to kind of go, oh, I, I don't like that. And to run back into the dark. It's the same way with God's word. Sometimes when he tells us the truth, it's like, oh, I don't want to hear that. But what Jesus said was, if you'll just stand there and let that truth kind of wash over you for a while, eventually your eyes will, will adjust and you'll begin to see things in your life because God will point things out in your life that, that you thought weren't any big deal, but they might actually be a serial killer waiting to destroy you in, in, from the inside out. It's a parable. It's, it's a story. And, you know, like last month, we compared tattoos to things that have, have touched our life. Good things and bad things, but they've left a permanent mark on our life. We looked at the story of a guy named Jonah. And in Jonah's story, 2,500 years ago, a lot of us saw our story. Yeah, I've kind of felt like that too. And in that story, we found out that God sends stuff into our life and God provides stuff in our life. But bottom line, the reason God does anything in our life is always the same reason, so that we'll remember him. He either creates something or provides something in our life. So we'll have that moment in our life where we go, oh yeah, God, he's like that and he promises that. Maybe I can let go of things that I thought could take care of me, but actually can't. And maybe I can run after God. And by the way, that's where we're going to land again today. You know, I, you may not understand everything that happens in the world. I don't. You, know, you, you can stop emailing me, Jim. Why do you think the tsunami happened? I don't know. I, I can't explain everything. I don't understand. I don't even like everything that happens in our world. I do believe this, though, that in this crazy world, God is still good. And he's great and he'll take care of us in our time of need. So today, as we start this new series, I, I want us to start by looking at, 
is that uh, looking at what is the biggest and probably the most important way that God takes care of us in, in our time of need. And what I'm going to look at today, I've got to tell you right up front, it's awesome. I, I, love, I love where we're going today. But what we're going to talk about today is really tough. It's true, but it's a really tough truth. It's a hard to understand, I don't think I'm going to like it kind of truth. And, and the toughest part about the truth we're going to look at today is not whether or not it's true or not. The, the, tough, the toughest part about today is, is this. If it is true then it reveals something about myself that I, I don't want to think is true. If, if what we look at and what Jesus says today is true, then it points out some stuff that I don't, I don't want to believe is true, or, or I hope it's not true, but if it is true, I, I, I don't want anybody else to know it's true because it might make me look bad. And we're going to call this new series Shadows, and I'll explain that toward the end of the talk a little bit more, but today I want us to look at an event, kind of set up this whole series, look at an event in the life of Jesus that I think will reveal one of those truths about ourselves, again, that we don't really want to think is true. We're going to be in the book of Mark. If you have the the Bibles, there's free Bibles at the back, and go ahead and get one. We're going to be in the book of Mark. There are four biographies um, uh, in in the Bible. We're going to be on page 695 of that one. It's also in your program and on the screen, but there are four biographies in the book, uh, in in the Bible. uh, of Jesus, written by four different guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John. And if you read all four of these, sometimes you'll find stories in all four of them that are the same story, but different. And sometimes you'll look at it and go, well, wait, he said it this way, and, and he said it this way, so which one is right? And the truth is, they're both right. And the best, the best comparison, I, I can say, is if you, went, if you got to go to court or something like that, and, and, and the four witnesses that took the stand all said exactly the same thing word for word, you would look at that and go, they rehearsed that. That this, this, this is, they, they got together before they came to the courtroom. Everybody's going to say the exact same thing. But the four different perspectives on the same thing would be kind of like a car accident. Well, I saw it from this corner, and I saw it from my apartment window, and I was in the car, and I got hit by the car. So they, here's a, these four different perspectives of this is how I saw the same event. And so Mark is one of the guys that hung out with Jesus for about three years, and he's at this event, and this is how he records what happened. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. He says, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, so this is a town in Israel that Jesus went to a lot, the, the people heard that he had come home. So many people gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Now, again, a little Bible history time, all right? Because that's, again, that's why you get up every morning. Jesus, test time. Jesus was born in a town called... Bethlehem, Christmas story. We, I knew that one. All right, I'm, I'm smart, right? So he, he, was, he was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in a little town several miles from there called Nazareth. That's where Mary and, Jesus, or Mary and Joseph lived after they got married and after the whole Christmas thing, all right? But Jesus traveled a lot around a lot. And just a few miles from Bethlehem and Nazareth, there's this big lake called the Sea of Galilee. And on the north shore of there was a little town called Capernaum, and that's where everybody went to fish. And after Jesus started like, walking around Israel teaching people, he met this guy named Peter who lived in Capernaum. So they were probably over at Peter's house. It's like as they were traveling around Israel, it's like, hey, we're close to your house, Peter. Let's crash there. Then we'll go on to Jerusalem tomorrow. That, that type of thing. So, so they're at Peter's house. And, and so Jesus had been there a lot. And everybody in Capernaum knew something about Jesus. You know, because he's kind of famous, all right? And so when he comes back home to, to, to Peter's house, uh, all kinds of people show up to, to hear what he has to say. Some are his fans and some are his critics because the word is out about Jesus by now. Just a few weeks after he was baptized, he's going around doing some crazy things around Israel. Like he's teaching in ways that nobody else had taught, which is cool. But the, the cooler thing is that like, he's, he's fixing people. He's like, a guy's arm doesn't work and Jesus fix it. I, I'd, I'd go see that. I'd walk miles to see that, all right? Well, there's a blind guy and, and Jesus, when he puts mud in his eye and all he can see. Or there's a guy with leprosy and now Jesus 
you know, cures him. I, I mean, there, there's one guy had a, had a demon inside of him, and this is like the movies. I mean, he's like, Bleh, you know, that whole thing, and, and Jesus cast him out. I mean, that's, I would go, I'd buy a ticket to go see that. So when Jesus comes to Capernaum, a lot of people show up to see the Jesus show. We, we want to see it. This is going to be cool. Maybe Jesus will do some tricks. So let's go over to Peter's house, verse 3. So Jesus is in this little house, and it's packed out. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic. That's somebody who's paralyzed. Carried by four of them. Since they could not get into Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Now, time out. I, I don't want to make light of this guy's situation. I'm sure it's tragic, but this is kind of funny. And you say, that's sick, Jim. All right. It's, it's, I see Monty Python all over this. That's what I see, all right? But... <laughs> I mean, right, I mean, it's, it's got to be a little awkward. I mean, Jesus is standing there going, God is love and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, like, roofing starts hitting him on the head and, and dust comes down, you know, and everybody looks up and there's these four dudes looking in like, hello, down there, right? And then they, they have their, their buddy, like, duct taped to a mattress and like, coming down, look out below. And down, down, down comes Jesus. And he say, well, that, that sounds kind of weird. That's because it is, all right? This is very strange. But it's, it's less weird if you've ever been to the Middle East and seen the houses over there. If you've ever been to Israel or any you know, a Middle Eastern com- country, or if you've been on one of our Afghanistan trips, this makes more sense. Because when the houses back then are like what we'd find over in, in Barakab, the little town we're building in Afghanistan, they're one, maybe two rooms tops made out of mud bricks. All right? And the roof, I've seen them do this, is they'll take, you know, so you only have a room just a little bit bigger than this part of the stage here, and they'll lay branches across it. Then they'll lay brush and sage and stuff like that across it. Then they'll mix mud and clay or mud and cow dung. And then they'll kind of put this plaster roof on it, let it harden. And then it's, it's good until the winter rains come. Then they'll chip it off and they'll put a new one in. So, so that's what the kind of house Jesus is in. And he's in this little house and some guys in town find out that Jesus is there. And they have this friend that they really care about who's paralyzed. And we don't know why. One of them has an idea. Let's take him to Jesus. Over in that other town, he healed that guy of, of, of his blindness and he healed that other guy of, of leprosy. Maybe, maybe he could do something for our, our friends. So they, they pick up his mattress and they run over there to the house. And again, they can't get in. It's too crowded. Not sure they were disappointed at first, but somebody has an idea. Follow me. And they go around the back of the house. They tie the dude to the, to the mattress. They, they put him up on the roof. And then they go, I bet Jesus is right down here. And they start kicking a hole in the roof. Chipping it away, all right? And, and, and then finally, here it comes. And, and you've got to think, at this point, the sermon's over. It's like, if I was up here and all of a sudden this is going, I'm like, time out, folks. And then here he comes. Do, 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 do. Hello, Jesus. Do, 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 do. And, then, and then he hits the floor, all right? And I think the crowd's getting excited now. I was like, here we go. This is the show. This is what we bought tickets for. This is what, watch this. Jesus is going to blow, blow our minds. So this guy comes down. And look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, not the guy on the stretcher's faith, the four guys' faith. Their faith, well, we, we think you can fix our friend. We really believe this, all right? When, they saw, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, drum roll, everybody take a, take a breath, all right, here it goes, all right? Because uh, get, get your video camera, right? Here it goes. He looks at this guy laying on the floor and goes, son, your sins are forgiven. And I, I wasn't there, but I bet you could hear the air going out of the room. It's like, what? And I bet if you looked up at the hole in the roof, there'd be there four faces going like, what are, you, what are you talking about? That hold on, Jesus, this is, thank you. That's not why we came. I mean, in case you haven't noticed, uh, Jesus, our friend is paralyzed. 
He, he can't walk. That's why, why, why we came here. All right. So I appreciate it. Your sins are forgiven. Thanks. Thanks a lot. But, but we need you to fix his problem. His legs don't work. Can you please just fix his legs? And I think that crowd full of people, and I think those four guys on the roof, and definitely the guy laying on the floor, are confused. And I would say really disappointed. And here's the thing is, I don't blame them. I would be too. I, I would be. I would, I'd be I, I'll say it. I may, maybe you don't want to hear your pastor say this, but honestly, I wrestle all the time with feeling disappointed in God. Don't you? When he doesn't do what I want him to do when I want him to do it in the way I want him to do it. Don't, don't, don't you sit there and lay in bed going, I don't get you sometimes, God. That's not what I needed you to do. And God frustrates me. I mean, here, here's why, right? Whenever I approach God, whenever I have a conversation with God, and, and we have conversations with God all the time in our car or laying in bed or whatever, but, you know, whenever I ask God for something or to do something for me, very rarely, and I'll just be honest, hardly ever is it about something spiritual going on in my life. I mean, I, I don't ever ask him to... I don't spend a lot of time asking God to forgive my sins. What, what I'm looking for, most of my conversations, 99.9999999, keep on going, part of my conversations with God are about physical stuff. Aren't yours? God, I need you to do this for me, fix this for me, change this, make her not do that anymore, all right? Move that over here, make more of that, less of that. That's most of my conversations with God. Isn't it yours? I mean, be honest. If, if I said, get your program out right now and, and write down the top three or four things that you want God to do for you this month, what would you write down? First three or four that come to your mind. Mine are easy. I made a list. The first one is, I want to be healthy. I pray that probably more than anything else, especially with my tooth hurting right now, right? I, I, God, please take away my pain. Make, make me healthy. I really want to be healthy. I pray that all the time. I want, to, I want to be an old man. I want to be a cool old man. Not like some of you, but I want to be, I want to, you know, you know what I mean? Some of you just gave up, you know, but you know what I'm talking about. But I, I, I want to be this cool old man. I really do. And then I want to die in my sleep suddenly and wake up in heaven. Don't they know what you want? All right, I just don't want to, I don't want to have this long, drawn-out thing. I think mean, put a pillow, you know, but I don't, I just, I'm t- that's not very nice, but that's what I think. Anyway, you know, I, I just want to, I want to, I want to be healthy until the end and then just be in heaven, right? You know what you pray for? All right. Second thing is I want someone to share my life with, don't you? I don't want to be alone. I, I want some friends. I want God to send some friends in my life. I, I want some companionship. Hopefully the romantic, you know, soulmate, Jerry Maguire, you complete me kind of companionship. That's what I'm looking for. I, I, I want love and I want to be loved. Don't you? A special love. And you, you better, I'd love to be loved by a whole family of people. That, that's my prayer. And third thing I pray about, probably more than anything else, is I want some money. Actually, I want some more money than I currently have. Anybody? It's like, yeah, four of us are honest and the rest of you lie, right? So, all right. I mean, I don't pray, God, please help me win the lottery. I would not turn it down, God, if you feel like it's best for me. But, you know, I, I just want enough money to take care of all my needs and most of my wants. Don't you? I mean, just be honest. I, I, mean, I mean, and the truth is, if I had health and money, my prospects of spending my life with somebody would go up, right? <laughs> He's healthy and rich. There you are, right? So, and the fourth thing I pray about, probably the fourth thing would be, I, 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 want, I want to kind of be famous. Not, not in some arrogant way. I mean, but I want, I want people to know who I am. You do too. You want to walk in a room and go, oh, he's really good at that. Or she's really, she's, she's really good at that. That's a person that's really good. I mean, whatever your career is, don't you want to be good at it and move your way up through the ranks and be respected and be successful at something? I, I do. And those are probably my big four. And probably most of my prayers and requests from God... Ask God, will you do something having to do with that? Will you give me more of that or protect what I already have or fix the part of that that I just broke, right? And there may be a few more things on the list, but I hardly spend any long conversations with God, at least comparatively, on a level of, God, I need you to forgive my sin. 
I mean, I, I work it in every once in a while. Oh, oh, yeah, that too, you know, and forgive my sin. But can we get on to the other stuff in my life right now? That's me. Isn't that you? And I'm not being critical of myself or, or you or those people back in the Bible. I mean, can you imagine being there at that, that house? And, you, and maybe, you know, parents or, you know, or aunts or uncles or friends, whatever. And, and you find this little child, your child, and, and he's really sick and he doesn't have long to live. And you pick him up in your arms and you run down the street because Jesus is in that house, all right? And you, and you kind of push your way through in front of Jesus. Or, or you have your x-rays from the doctor because there's a lump on, on something or a, or a spot. Or you have your divorce, your, your, your spouse just fired, filed divorce papers. Whatever that is, the most tragic thing for you. And you lay it in front of Jesus and you go, please help me. And he looks at you and goes, that's all right, it's going to be okay. Your sins are forgiven. Really? I mean, thanks, thanks a lot, Jesus. But I don't know if I'd be disappointed or, or mad. Because there's some other stuff in my life right now that feels a lot more important. A lot more pressing, more urgent that I need you to take care of right now. I need you to fix the broken part of my life, Jesus. And then we can take care of the spiritual stuff later. That's my story. Is it yours? Let's get back to this story, all right? We, we have a house full of people. We have four dudes on a roof. And a guy laying on the floor who just went looking to Jesus. And when they find him, they didn't get what they felt like they needed the most. And that's us sometimes. But they aren't the only people in the room. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 6. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there. Now, teachers of the law are these religious snobby people that say, we keep all the rules and we decide who goes to heaven and not, and who doesn't. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, and we, by the time out, we've always said this in here, if you're, don't think, if Jesus is around, don't think to yourself because he can hear you, all right? So, so Jesus is here and they're thinking to themselves, thinking, oh, he can't hear me, but he can, all right? They're thinking to themselves and here's what they're thinking. Why does this fellow talk like that? Your sins are forgiven, right? He, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So these religious guys have shoved their way into the house, not, not because they wanted to become followers of Jesus, not because they, they wanted to, you know, learn anything from Jesus. Again, they're hoping they can catch him, make a mistake, prove that he's a fake, and now they think they've got him. What, what, what did he just say? Did he just tell that guy that his sins were forgiven? Because he can't do that. That's, that's blasphemy. That's, a, that's the worst thing you can do, right? You're, He's not allowed to forgive anybody's sins or tell anybody. Lead them to believe that their sins are are forgiven. See, the only person that can do that is God. Hey, Jesus, who do you think you are? Here it is. God? Is that that what this is about? See, See, Jesus, only God has the authority to forgive anything. And if anybody is next in line after God, it's going to be us. The religious people, we have the book. We have, we have the rule book, and we've memorized big sections of it, all right? So listen, if anybody wants to have their sins forgiven, there's a list of things that they have to do. And it starts with, go buy one of our sheep that we've jacked the price up on, all right? Take that all the way to Jerusalem, confess to one of the people in our club, kill the sheep, put the blood all over the altar, we'll put in a good word for you, and maybe God will forgive your sins, at least until you do it again. Then you have to come buy another sheep from us. So listen, Jesus, this idea that you have the authority... To, to grant or tell anybody that their sins are forgiven? Listen, just because they're stupid enough to believe you, that you can actually do this, it, that, it's crazy. You're not, you're not allowed. Who do you think you are? And Jesus can hear everything going on inside their heads. Look at verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take up your mat, and walk? Let me say what Jesus said a different way. Which is the easier thing to, to do? Which is the easier thing to, to make happen? 
Which is the easier thing to measure to see if it, if it really happened or not? And see, the easiest thing, we'd sit here and go, well, the easiest thing to say is, is your sins are forgiven? Because anybody can say that. I can say that to you. Your sins are forgiven, all right? But how do you know if they're, if they're forgiven or not? See, they were looking for something else. Back in Jesus' day, and even today, a lot of people are still teaching this, religious people were teaching that the reason a person gets sick, the reason there was a car wreck, the reason you got cancer, the reason that you were paralyzed or something happened to your children or something like that is because you sinned and God was pouring it out on you. And that's why, all right? And they, they believed that. And then if you got healed, it, it obviously God had, had forgiven you, all right? So that's what they're looking for. So you, if you tell the paralyzed man, get up and walk, now we're talking. If you tell the sick person to be healed or the dead person to come back to life, and then he does, then it's obvious, all right, you have some authority, all right, to do stuff like that. But anybody can say, your sins are forgiven. But where's the proof, Jesus? How, how can we know that you... You are anything. How, how, how do you know that you can make anything happen? Who, who do you think you, you are? Why should we believe anything you say about having the authority to forgive sins? Only God can do that. And Jesus hears that. And Jesus answers them. But, or, or so that you may know that the Son of Man, and that's Jesus' title for himself. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Son of Man. So that you may know that I have authority. I do have authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, don't read ahead, all right? He says this. You want, you want, you're asking me why I... Why I can stand up here and say that I'm qualified to forgive his sins? You're asking me what the proof is that I have the authority to remove eternal consequences of mistakes that this guy has made that's going to separate him from God for all eternity? Is that what you're asking? Fine. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to remove one of the earthly consequences of sin. one One of the temporary consequences of sin. But it's really just a symptom of a bigger problem. Of sin when it entered the world. Well, what does that mean? It means this. And you have to read the first three chapters of the Bible to, to know how this all started. But God told us as soon as we turn our back on God, way back in the beginning, there would be consequences. When sin entered the world, other things entered the world at the same time. Sickness, pain, disease, insecurity, jealousy, and ultimately death. You can trace all that back to brokenness. Sin broke the world. And Jesus is looking at these people going, you're so wrapped up in the physical consequences of sin, of pain, of heartache. And you should be because they're breaking your life. But you forget that they're really only a symptom of something deeper going on. See, this guy laying on the floor has something bigger going on than his legs don't work. And he's not just talking about this guy's particular sins, the one that he's personally committed. I mean, he's talking about that, but he's talking about all of us. We all live in a world that's broken. We all are inheriting the fallout of, of sin on, on our life, all right? Uh, we, we all live in bodies that are, are, are broken and contaminated. We live in bodies that you don't, you don't want to think about this. And you, we spend billions of dollars trying to convince ourselves otherwise. But our bodies are moving towards death. And the older you get, the more that becomes aware, uh, obvious to you. It's just, it's just, just true. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Maybe the guy that's laying on the floor in front of Jesus, he just got older. I mean, I hear stories all the time. I know some, some people that got older and then they lost their balance and they tripped and they fell. Maybe he fell down because his eyes couldn't see very well. And he tripped and he fell and he hit his head and he was paralyzed. That just happens. Not because he's a sinner. Because his body doesn't work the right way. You know, maybe the guy that's now paralyzed laying on the floor, maybe one day, months ago or years ago, whatever, he's just walking down the road and, and got hit by a drunk camel driver. Maybe that's how it happened. I, I don't know. It's not his fault though. He's not paralyzed because of his sin. It was, it was the camel driver's sin. But he's still suffering. He's the victim of sin. And we can keep on going. 
Maybe the, maybe the guy that's laying on the floor just a while back made a really stupid mistake. I don't know if it's a sin or not. It just left him paralyzed. Maybe, maybe somebody did something really mean to him. Maybe he got sick. Maybe he had a genetic problem that was passed on to him by some forgotten relative. Maybe, maybe his village got hit by an earthquake and a tsunami and he pulled himself out of the rubble and now he's paralyzed. It, but at, you know what? When you're laying at the floor and you can't walk, it doesn't really matter anymore how you got here. You're just broken. You're just broken. And the ultimate reason that his body doesn't work now is because it's the physical consequence of living in a broken world. And Jesus knows that. So he looks at these people who are looking back at him like, Jesus, you are a nut. You are a religious kook. And he says, how about this? Here's why I'm going to do this. In hopes that you'll understand that I have the authority on a greater level, on an eternal level, in regards to the consequences of sin, here's what I'm going to do. I'm I'm going to remove one of the temporary symptoms of sin, one of the, the, the consequences of sin in this guy laying right here. And my hope is that maybe you'll believe on a higher level. So here we go. He said to the paralytic, and I think everybody in the room went, <gasps> I tell you, take up your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. They praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. All right? So they're all clapping, going, yeah, give Jesus a round of applause. Way to go. This is what we came for. This is what we wanted to see. But, you know, I wonder if behind all that applause, Jesus was a little sad. Because he knew what they were applauding for. You were applauding because I, I fixed this guy's legs, fi- fixed his back. But what makes me sad is that you, you're standing in the very presence of the one who can heal up everything. And, and you're totally missing that. See, let me flip this around. What if Jesus had, had just healed the man's legs and ignored his sin problem? Your body works, you can walk home, but you're still separated from God. And eventually, by the way, you know, before you leave and walk home, you know you're going to get sick again. You know it's a matter of time until you have another health crisis, right? I mean, we talk about this all the time. Everybody that Jesus healed or brought back from the dead or fed or whatever, eventually got hungry again, got sick again, or died again. Everybody. So why does Jesus even bother? Healing or raising anybody or feeding anybody if it's just a matter of time. And the answer is exactly where we started today, the whole book of Jonah. Because the only reason God does anything in your life or causes or allows anything in our life is so we'll remember who he is. So we'll go back to him and go, who are you, God? Oh, yeah, you're God Almighty. You run the universe. That, that, and this is what God is like. You're great and you're good and you're kind and you're loving and you're compassionate. And you give mercy in our time of need. And this is, this is why we need you in our life. Because you alone can give us what we really need the most. But speaking for myself and I think for most of us in this room, most of the time when we talk to God, we don't ask God for what we need the most. We ask God for what we feel the most. And what if, and here we go, what, what if we, what we actually feel like we need is really just a shadow of what we really need. Right? See, it's like we keep on asking God to heal our symptoms. And God says, I, I, I'd much rather heal your disease. It'd be like asking God, God, take away my headache. Don't worry about the brain tumor. Just make me feel better. Take away my cough, but, but ignore you know, the fact that, that, that I have pneumonia. See, the symptoms are only a shadow of the, the real problem that will kill us. Our deepest need. I'll, I'll give you some examples uh, uh, today, all right? We ask God all the time to, to help us with our addictions. Now, don't limit it to this. You can apply this to just about anything. But there's a lot of us in this room who struggle with addictions. And they could be all kinds. And we pray prayers like this. God, I'm an alcoholic. God, I'm a drug addict. God, I'm a sex addict. God, I'm a food addict. God, I'm codependent on another person. But let me just say, addiction is not our real problem. 
Listen to this carefully, all right? It's only a symptom of our, of our bigger problem. And our bigger problem is that sin has screwed up our lives. That's our problem. And in our brokenness, we believe that if we run to a bottle or a substance or another person and get their approval, then we'll be able to make it, that we'll be okay, we'll be able to survive. And so we run off to meetings, all right? We, we, we go to AA or NA or SA or whatever support group or therapy group that you want. And here's the thing is, I'm not slamming those. I've been in them. I'm all for them. You, you should go to those. But just don't think that they can save you or fix you at your deepest level. See, alcohol, let me talk to the alcoholics, but again, fill in yours in the blank here. Alcohol or whatever it is, is not your biggest problem. Sin is your biggest problem. It's my biggest problem and it has broken our lives. And until it's addressed, it's a matter of time, it's a matter of time until we kind of replace one addiction with another, all in an attempt to treat a symptom. I, I know people who are addicted to recovery groups. I really do, don't you? You say, well, yeah, Jim, that's better than getting drunk and running your car into a tree. You're right. You're you're right. You can settle for that. But it's not as good as being forgiven and set free and healed up from the desire to drink, right? It's not as good as being forgiven and having the part of my heart being healed up that causes me to keep seeking comfort in overeating or in pornography or spending another night in the wrong bed with the wrong person. Wouldn't you agree with that? So you can ask God, and you should. God, God I, I'm asking to fix my health and fix my addictions and fix my finances, fix my marriage, fix my relationship with my family. And you should ask God for that. I do every day, and I hope he does. But whether he does or not, the bigger, better question would be this. God, will you fix me in here? Because honestly, isn't it true? Just be honest with yourself. Almost every one of the problems that we've created for ourselves, we created because we turn to something or someone other than God to give us what we thought we would need to be okay. It's my story. So go to counseling and go to meetings, go to rehab and work on your relationships. But to quote Jesus, what good is it for a man or a woman to gain the whole world, to get sober, to, to, to not fight as much, whatever that is, and yet lose or forfeit his or her very self, their very soul? And I've heard it, you know, and maybe you're sitting there in your mind, you're saying this, wait, I've been told all my life, once a screw up, always a screw up, right? Once a drunk, always a drunk. Once a sinner, always a sinner. Isn't that true? No. No, that, that can't be true. Because if that's true, then God's wrong. And I don't believe God's wrong. Because God says that he can and will forgive us. And he will heal us. And he says, that is what you used to be. Yeah, you used to be an alcoholic and a drunk and a perv and a whole bunch of other things. That's, that's, that's what you used to cheat on your spouse. You should screw up your life. But that's what you used to be. But now you're a new creation. You're forgiven. I'm healing up that broken part of your life. The old is gone and you're set free from the old chains. Whoa, time out, Jim. Are you saying, please listen to this really carefully. Are you saying that if I struggle with addictions or relationship problems or self-esteem problems or anger issues, I shouldn't go to meetings anymore? AA or, or whatever, I shouldn't go to shift anymore. No, I shouldn't go to counsel anymore. Hey, maybe I shouldn't even go to the doctor anymore and take, take medicine anymore. I should just ask God to forgive me and heal up that part of my life. Is that what you're saying, Jim? No. Right? Everybody should write that. No, that's not what Jim's saying. I, I think that helps a lot of people. My, my house, our philosophy, people, prayer, and pills. One of them's going to work, all right? I believe that, all right? But just don't run off to any place thinking, or anywhere on this planet anyway, thinking that they can heal you and do for you what only Jesus can do. They can't. Only Jesus can forgive us and heal the broken part of our life at the deepest level because it's been broken by sin and only Jesus can do that. And until we face that and ask him to deal with that part of our life, we are just treating symptoms and ignoring the real disease because sin is behind it all and screws up our life. 
Do you remember, do you remember a few years ago, the probably most famous movies come out probably in the last 10, 15 years, um, Titanic. And I know, it, I know it was really famous because I went to two other continents and it was playing there, right? And I, I love that movie. I knew how it ended. Duh. But anyway, I still, I still watch. I mean, I, I'm king of the world. That, that whole thing, all right? I love that movie. But as I was watching that movie, probably the third time I was watching it, I think it was on an airplane, it kind of, something kind of clicked in my head. It's like, oh, that's what it means. A phrase kind of came to life for me that I'd, I guess I'd heard all, all of my life. And it happens, uh, one of the closing scenes of the movie, and, and uh, it's, the boat has already hit, hit the iceberg and it's sinking and all the, sh- the lifeboats, they're full and they're, they're gone. And so everybody's kind of standing around on the deck going, well, this is it, you know. And, and this one guy starts playing a violin, remember that? And then there's another guy, he's a crew member, and his job, you know, before we hit the iceberg was to make sure the deck was straight. And so as the boat starts to tilt, he's straightening up deck chairs. He's literally rearranging chairs on the Titanic. Because he thinks it's important. And you just look at that and go, and you, and you see, you're, you're missing it. You're, you're, you're ignoring reality is that none of that matters anymore. That there's a bigger issue going on that you've got to pay attention to. And I'm done. Let me ask you this. Does, does that describe some of our lives? Rearranging chairs on the Titanic. Do you spend a lot of time in conversations with God or even, even running around on this planet trying to fix super, superficial things? And nothing wrong with that, but you're trying to fix superficial things while you're ignoring deeper problems, real problems. And have you dedicated your life to having the nicest room or the biggest stateroom on a ship that's going down? And is it possible that we're spending all our time on shadows? And not paying attention to the most important thing that's actually casting the shadow. And this is it possible the thing that we need to do the most before we ask God to do one more thing for us? Maybe the wisest thing to do would be ask God to do something in us. See, you, you can pray that your marriage gets better, but nothing's going to change because you're a selfish person. Until that changes, your marriage doesn't have a chance. You, you can pray for your family and all the fights and conflict you have, but you're an angry person. Years ago, you got hurt or you got injured or you got abused and you're taking it out on the wrong people. You can pray for your family all you want, but until that heals up, they're just going to keep on being the victims of your mis, misguided rage. You can, you can pray for your addiction. And I hope you don't get drunk or high or whatever it is anymore, but there is something broken inside that made you go to the bottle in the first place. Until that broken part is healed, it's just a matter of time. Until we run to something else. So what would happen if we ran to Jesus today? I, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And, uh, and I don't know if it's because I'm on painkillers for my tooth or what, but I, I get real emotional. I may start crying. Don't make fun of me, all right? So, uh, but th- these next two songs, they just make my throat close up. They're just about God being our healer. And maybe, maybe if you can, you can sing. You can stand and sing with us. Or maybe you just need to stay seated and just let these words be your prayer. As you kind of choke out some words to God and ask him to help you in your life and fix the broken parts of your life. But just don't do that and ignore this. Because this, ha- this, is, this is the most important thing. Everything else is a symptom. So God, I come to you this morning. And we just come to you asking for help and mercy. God, we, 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 ask, we ask you to forgive. We, we come to you and we just finally just mouth the words. We, we, we have made mistakes and we have sinned. We told you to leave us alone. We've, we've hurt people in our lives. We have been selfish. We have 
And we can, make, we can build arguments about why we had to act that way, but if we push all that aside, down, just looking at, in the mirror at ourselves, God, we're broken people. And until you and I work out some stuff, until each of us work out our stuff with you, the rest of it, it really is ships on the deck of a, or it's chairs on the deck of a sinking ship, and it's a waste of time. So God, would you heal our hearts, forgive our sin? Will you change us from the inside out? God, without apology, we, we ask for you to heal our marriages and give us the strength to not go back to a substance or a bottle. But again, God, the more important thing is to go back and God, will you fix the things that cause us to run those directions anyway? Will you remind us that we're not condemned, that we're forgiven, that we're loved, we're not cast out, and that you're a God of, of grace and mercy? This is why we worship you, because you're our healer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.